Hi, I'm Renton Hockey, creator of Ronin Digital Express on Substack. Find me at Renton Hockey on Twitter or Instagram, and you're watching Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by a very talented comic creator. He is, of course, the creator of Ronin Digital Express. We are joined today by the ever-talented Renton Hockey. How are you doing today? Hey, Kurt. Uh, a little under the weather, unfortunately, but I'll try not to be too disgusting for your listeners. Drop my voice a few octaves, clean it up a little bit, and uh, make me sound healthy. That would be great. You'd have to pay me to do all that, though, unfortunately. So, But for the free aspect, uh, you get to come on the show and talk about your amazing comics. So for those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talking. So I'm Renton Hockey. I'm a comic creator. Uh, I So all of it, I do the writing, I do the art, I do the coloring, I do the lettering. Some of those things better than others, of course. I'm still a bit of a work in progress there. Primarily, uh, I'm working on this project, Ronin Digital Express, over on Substack. Uh, it's a webcomic. Genre-wise, it's a it's a Chanbara Western, so it's kind of a blend between like a Western and like, you know, old Japanese samurai movies that share a lot of tropes with the Western genre. And then, yeah, like a paint job of sort of like 90s anime aesthetic over top all of that. So it's about this nameless Ronin character who just goes on these episodic adventures, fairly minimalistic storytelling, self-contained episodes so far, kind of working out the kinks on that project and, and having fun. So it's very Kurosawa slash samurai shampoo slash slash everything like that. Yeah, anybody who either likes uh, like old Kurosawa or Toshiro Mifune samurai movies uh, or likes, you know, really pulpy spaghetti westerns or Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, uh, you know, shows like that that were on like Toonami in the, the early 2000s uh, will find something to work with in Ronin Digital Express. You know, looking at yourself as a, as a creative person, what is the most difficult aspect about being creative? Is it the beginning, the middle, or the end of your creative process? The beginning is a lot of fun. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who uh, I come up with a lot of ideas while I'm like, you know, doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or something like that. You know, I'll have a some Google Doc open on a computer uh, somewhere or my phone that I'll rush back to real quick to, to jot some ideas down. That stuff's fun. Uh, same thing with the art. Like it's really fun placing things on the page and finding the rhythm and, you know, those little surprises where you're like, oh, I actually did that. That looks pretty good. You know, that, that kind of happens at that stage. The hard part is definitely finding the endurance to finish. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I definitely get to a point where somewhere between like tight pencils and inking where I just gas out before I've even done the coloring or anything like that. So the coloring is probably the most painful step for me. It's funny because a lot of people compliment Rona Digital Express for the color palette. It's because I have to spend as much time on that as I do everything else combined because it's it's just a slog at that point. Yeah, the endurance and the willpower required at the end there to to push it all the way to the finish line is definitely the most difficult. Looking at the the setting that you've built for this particular world though, how did the setting impact your narrative while you were creating this comp? I think the setting I'm always looking for ways 
to make the setting, make the art easier. I mean, I think the idea of making it a Western, I didn't totally think it through consciously, but you know, there's a lot of just wide open space opportunity. There's a lot of organic shapes possibilities uh, in that. And so that was just sort of like a happy accident once I got into drawing it where I was like, oh, okay, like I don't have to spend a lot of time creating grids to draw buildings uh, in that, and that sort of thing. There's a little bit of that because, you know, there are some chapters that go into like ruins of the old world superstructure, skyscrapers and things like that. There's a chapter that hints at the world before where he's exploring this old city uh, with all these like climate change mitigation mm. structures uh, that have, that are just kind of worn down over time. So there's some of that, but for the most part, you know, we're staying kind of in the wilderness and fairly simple structures. I, I think that it was a happy accident that that was the case, but then over time I've leaned into it more where if I'm going to do something that's really complex artistically, it's going to be kind of a treat. Whereas typically it'll probably be a little bit more of like a wilderness, you know, wide open wasteland uh, kind of a vibe, Book of Eli kind of thing. Now, seeing that you're doing everything here, obviously um, you've talked about motivation and burnout briefly as well too here. Uh, what has been the fan reaction regarding, you know, Ronin Digital Express? People have seemed to really like it. It's been encouraging because Ronin Digital Express is something that I'm thinking about doing. Initially, I wanted to do a lot more with, but I didn't kind of feel like I was there artistically yet. What currently exists, the sort of first arc, is kind of like a prototype. And it was just kind of like me putting it out there and going, A, will people respond to it? B, am I really going to want to stick with this for a long time? Do I have enough fire for the concept to go with it long haul? You know, the initial response is, I would say, you know, there's a modest number of, of people reading it and I love each and every one of you. Yeah. Responses have been good. There seems to be a lot of uh, curiosity about uh, where it could go. There's a lot of impatience uh, around how, how slow I am. What can I say, baby? You're in a long-term relationship right now if you really want to stick around with this one. It's, it's a grind. You know, there's not a lot of money in comics, so we, we find uh, the time where we can. It's also a process, too. If you're only one person doing absolutely everything, I mean, you got to be cut a little bit of slack. If you're being consistent in what you're putting out and the quality is consistent all the way through, as, as I've seen so far, the fans will be waiting to read it. And if it's free, I think is kind of the other thing. Like that's, you know, there might at some point, maybe we'll try to run Kickstarters on collections or something like that. But the digital version, I think will knock, knock, uh, always be free. So I think that that's kind of a big chip on your side of the, the card table um, in terms of schedule. It helps too. I mean, it's, you already have a body of work available, ready, ready for people to access. And when you go to an actual physical version of it, you at least still have a digital backup. And plus, personally, I love the digital side of things because it's just, I don't have any room as you can tell. Yeah. Behind me. So yeah. I, I, I want to read the stuff, you know, on my phone or, or on the computer or wherever I'm reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll typically, uh, with Kickstarter, I'll only break for something that's like really a product. I wouldn't necessarily go for something that's just sort of a typical trade. You know, I have, a uh, Carrie Payton, I think is mm -hmm. the writer's name did that book excellence on uh, Kickstarter. And it's like, it looks like a King James Bible, you know, it's, it's just like beautifully bound. Um, it's got the gold leafing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, like a cloth bookmark. So if you're a bit of a library nerd like I am, that's the kind of thing that makes it a premium product. It makes you want to, even if you can get it for free, 
makes you want to put it on the shelf somewhere. What is the most misunderstood aspect when you tell people that you're you're a comic artist or that you're you're a creative person? Oh, I don't tell people that. I uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I I just I avoid it. To be honest with you, I think that the problem with comics is that maybe I should maybe I'm abdicating some kind of duty here because I'm going to complain about something that I I am in a unique position to help solve. But I don't like going through the whole like. Oh, well, I'm a comic book creator slash artist. I don't work for DC and Marvel. I don't draw Spider-Man and Batman, nor do I want to. There's a whole other side of comics where, you know, it's independent creators telling their own stories. And it's, it's you know, you could find as much diversity in terms of genre there as you would on television or in any other medium. And at the end of that conversation, just to have... You know, most people go like, oh, that's nice. And so, John, what do you do? You know, and it's it's not worth it. That's a bit of a shame, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you have a you have a good product. You have a good comic. You're progressing your skills. You're, you're showcasing your talents from a writing and drawing perspective. But to not literally share that you're a creative person seems to be a bit of a waste. I do get a lot of pushback on this, um, and I, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind. I suppose at some point, but um, yeah, it's, I, my wife is the same way. Most of my friends who know what I do, they're like, "Why don't you like, you know, it's kind of not something everybody can do. Like, you should go, you know, put it out there a little bit more." And I, I don't know. I got some kind of a maybe someone really made fun of me and you know, junior high, and I got some kind of embedded trauma around it or something. I don't know. Well, we'll be diving more introspective in the second half, anyhow. So we'll, we maybe we'll we'll get to the root of that particular issue. I'll ch I'll change the angle so that uh, you can see me laying down on the uh, the leather sofa in the corner of my just office. Just hold up the web camera as you lean back in your thing. That'll be perfectly fine. <laughs> and the ring light, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, how long have you been feeling this way? <laughs> um, sorry, that's a really old. Let's tie it to sex somehow. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the after hour show. I haven't done that in a while. So um, I can't. Next time. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Looking at your, your longstanding comic that you've created so far, what was the hardest scene for you to actually write and draw? Well, I did have a lot of trouble. So there's a chapter that I, I spoke to a bit ago where there's like a cityscape. So Ronin Digital Express takes place hundreds of years from today. And then something happened, right? Nuclear war, climate change, whatever. I don't really go into details on, you know, whatever the apocalypse was, but past the post-apocalyptic phase where people are, you know, killing each other over tubes of chapstick and stuff like that. And we're into what I would say is like a mid-reconstruction era. People are starting to put together societies again, but it's kind of decentralized. There's not really like an internet, some technology, but a lot of it's fairly analog. You get to have a Western, basically, right, where people have to kind of get between town, you know, go town to town on foot um, or with, you know, analog vehicles. There's not really broadband communication, uh, but there's some technology. So you get to have your cake and eat it, too. Um, it's sort of like a trigun kind of a thing mm -hmm. or borderlands or something like that. Part of the culture, it's kind of like we have now where, like, there are people who are really invested in, like, rebuilding the world again and they're the smart people who know the useful things and then you have like general population who uh you know they're extremely superstitious there, there's a lot of like cultural mythology you'll encounter among that is there's a, a big fear 
of exploring old cities and old structures uh, because they think that there's they're cursed because people that go in there don't tend to come out. The real reason why people don't tend to come out is because there's all these like hyper militarized city defenses that are still functioning. Hmm. So if you like cross a motion sensor or something, machine guns going to pop out and, you know, blow you to pieces and hmm. someone's going to interpret that as witchcraft or something like that. Sure. But the thing is you would want to go into these cities because there's a lot of the smart people that I was talking about. They want to recover whatever they can uh, because that helps them rebuild society today. Right. So they'll hire people who are, you know, ballsy basically to go in and try to recover some stuff for them. And that's one of the jobs that the protagonist of Ronan Digital Express does. There's a chapter that shows him going into like a city ruin. And I think that that was difficult because I haven't quite nailed the aesthetic for it yet, but I, I wanted, I didn't want something that was like, I am legend where it was just overgrown with a bunch of, you know, flora or like the last of us or something like that. Like I, I wanted to show that over centuries, the city structures remain mostly intact uh, because they are built to, they're supposed to be these big brutalist structures that have these climate shielding uh, type things. Cause you would presume that at the time the world went to shit, uh, you know, there was a lot of like climate mitigation stuff, like big sea walls and things like that. So I wanted to convey that, you know, those protections for the architecture were pretty robust, if not extremely ugly. So yeah, I wanted a lot of structural preservation, but some, you know, life sneaking through and damage from salt water that had flooded in and algae or whatever, uh, seaweed, uh, stuff like that from when things had washed out discoloration. So yeah, trying to figure that out. I don't think I quite nailed it in that chapter. So that was very difficult. And then, you know, I think some of the sequences didn't necessarily play out the way I imagined them, but overall, I think I'm pretty proud of that chapter. The very next chapter, it's like an X-Men annual, like it's an extra long chapter. Mm -hmm. It's in four parts. Yeah. That's called the legendary Ronin Waruihito. So I was feeling kind of down coming off of the chapter I'm describing, but then massive upswing for legendary Ronin Waruhito, which I think is probably one of the best chapters of, of the series so far. So yeah, I wasn't sad about it for very long. I'll say. <laughs> you're seeing your progression from when you started to where you currently are here. And I think that's, that's amazing to see. And speaking of progression in general, when you first started, how long ago was this and what did you learn up until now that made you a better, not only writer, but artist? I've always wanted to be a writer of some kind. And I started mostly wanting to be a comic book writer and to do my own projects. I have always drawn, but mostly just like, it would help me to visualize characters if I could draw them. So I would just draw like character designs and character turnarounds and that kind of thing. Nothing like settings or, you know, action sequences or anything like that. Not even a lot of expression work. So I wanted to do writing first and I, I did get into it. Um, I had several projects. I joined the comics experience forum, which, you know, I think a lot of, I've run into a lot of other people who um, either up and coming or recently established who, who kind of made some important connections there. That was very helpful in kind of getting, you know, things like formatting, some illusions about what the business is like out of the way. Uh, making some connections, some friends that I still have, getting feedback on scripts and writing and that sort of thing. So I really think I cut my teeth as a writer in there primarily. And then I tried to go forth and do some, some projects. I had a handful in the works. Only one of them ever saw the light of day. So there's a short comic called uh, Tomorrow that's in uh, 
Caliber Comics Presents Volume 1 that was printed in like 2015 or 16 uh, that I wrote. And uh, the artist on that was Nick Barber, who's gone on to do some, some things for Image. Uh, the letter was Micah Myers, who does a lot of stuff. I was colored by my brother. I'll probably put it in my newsletter at some point uh, because I have the colored version that we couldn't print because it's a black and white collection. But that's the only surviving credit of myself, my short career as a comic writer. Yeah, the other projects I was working on fell through for various reasons. Either I ran out of money uh, to fund them or I had uh, collaborators that couldn't deliver uh, or jump ship for whatever other reason. I was getting very frustrated with it. I was seeing the same thing happen with a lot of my friends. You know, I think it was my wife one day that was like, well, but you draw, so why don't you just draw your own comic? And, you know, I went to bed like, that's nuts, you suck, good night. And like the next morning I was like, I have an idea. I'm going to draw my own comic. And she's just rolling her eyes in the background, right? So yeah, from there, it was kind of a slog to just try to learn how to do that. Um, what's an underappreciated novel that maybe you couldn't get into early in your life, but you appreciated later on? Hmm. Well, I, I would say that I, I kind of just like what I like. Let's say I picked up something in college that I didn't care for. The likelihood that I'm going to spend any time tracking it down again to give it another chance is pretty slim. Maybe it's a character defect, but I, I just can't think of any book where I've been like, oh, I'll give her, I'll give her another chance. You know, I, I will say that a book that I think and it's, it's kind of a well-known, I'm not really uncovering a stone for anybody here, but a well-known kind of cult following book that deserves more mainstream attention than it gets is Paul Oster's Sea of Glass trilogy. Mm. I mean, that captured me from the get-go. So I, I like that, but it is one of those just on the edge of indie breaking into mainstream books that uh, I would direct anybody to. And another reason for it, not just that it's a good novel in its own right or series of novellas rather. There's also a comic book adaptation of the first one adapted by David Mazzucchelli. You have kind of a twofer there if you're interested in comics. Both are great works in their own right. What was better than the book or the comic? I, it's just the power of different mediums there. I mean, they're, they're both great. It could have been a bad comic if it would have aspired to just be like a fairly straight adaptation and rely more on Paul Oster's prose. But no, it's in the hands of someone like David Mazzucchelli. You know, he's, he knows how to adapt in a way that shows off what comics can do. It's hard to weigh one or the other. Yeah, I mean, if you're skeptical about reading books... Uh, which is fine. It takes a long time. It's an investment. Uh, I'm sort of like, if, if you can get people to read anything, that's great. They don't have to start with Don Quixote. You know what I mean? Like they can just <laughs> they can read whatever you want. You know, my wife reads romance novels and that's great. I'm glad that she reads faster than I do. She reads more books than I do in a year. That's great. You know, um, I'm just happy that someone's reading something they enjoy. But if someone's not typically a big reader, I would say start with the comic. And I think that if you like the story in the comic, uh, you'll probably also enjoy the novel. So there might be a, a bridge there. Does writing energize you or does it drain you creatively? There's not really much to my writing, to be honest. And this, you know, knock, knock. This is the part where people in the audience are like, yeah, we can tell. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm setting it up is all I'm saying. I really tend to sit on stuff for a long time. I know some other all-in-one creators who um, they really just kind of finish a project and they're like, oh, now what? And then they'll have a new idea and then they'll spend the next two years working on that idea. Hmm. I'm more like I've got 12 pots boiling at one time and I'm just kind of checking 
you know, oh, now I've, I had a thought about this one, so I'll check that. Now I have a thought about this one, I'll check that. At some point, one of them reaches a boil and I'm like, I guess I'm going with this one. It's very slow and just kind of more guided by, oh, I had a cool idea just now. I know how to tie this scene to that scene. I know what to do with character motivation over here, whatever it is. I had a cool idea for a line of dialogue. I don't know. Because I've got like a handful of projects that the problem is it just takes a long time to draw stuff. So I'm working on a couple of different things right now that roll out over the next year or two. You know, there's scripts that have been polished and repolished and repolished several times by now. The storytelling part is all in the rear view mirror from the writer perspective. I'll probably make tweaks here and there as the artist, obviously. The writing itself, once I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I've got enough here, then it's just kind of a Saturday afternoon of committing it to an actual script. You know, I'll have like a Google doc that's basically like, an outline with a bunch of comments branching off that are like, you know, maybe try this instead. Maybe this character says this line of dialogue. So by the time it, it's ready to go to a script version, it's just kind of a, you know, I'm Dr. Frankenstein. I'm just stitching body parts together at that point. They're not really higher brain power activity. So then what was an early experience where you learned that language had power and how did that affect you creatively? Wow. Um, I think I'm still learning that, honestly. I think it's not really, I don't know that I've ever had one big realization. I think, yeah, I don't know if I can give a, a really persuasive answer to that. I think I'm really fascinated as a, in sort of a non-comic way. I'm always fascinated with like political movements, uh, religions. They all just sort of have their own languages. You know, they have their own way of categorizing things into hierarchies, even if they're anti-hierarchy movements, they still find a way to hierarchy and, you know, categorize. That's all interesting to me. Like that, just as a, a student of language, that sounds a little, you know, away, but it's the best way not to put it. But there are a lot of things like that where I'm just kind of like ambiently paying attention to what's going on in the real world. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting that like they put it that way. And I can see how that gets a response and, and riles people up. And, you know, maybe the most like watered down version of it is like a political slogan. I, I can always imagine whenever, whoever the president is or whoever, you know, a senator is or whatever, they, they go out there to make their speech and they've got like this, this thing that they've coined, you know what I mean? To make it relevant, like right now with what we're going through in the country uh, with inflation, right? There's like, if you're a conservative, it's Biden inflation. And if you're a Democrat, it's Putin's price hike. You know what I mean? So it's like a, it's a really, but it's interesting, right? Like it's yeah. a, you, you have to come up with some kind of a, a new language to convey all of the frustration that, you know, your tribe is feeling. You have to do this with every issue and you have to make sure your thing sticks more than the other group's thing so that all the people in the middle, the independents who decide the elections you know, you're fighting for them. So your thing's got to be clever enough to make them go like, uh, 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 oh, this guy. <laughs> so it's kind of pathetic that we're that you know, easily manipulated by language, but I don't know that I, we can necessarily reserve judgment over it because it's just, it's what we are. It's the way our brains work. Kind of just have to embrace that in humanity, good, bad, and everything in between, I guess. Looks like we have a question from Hello Berlin 3, <laughs> who's a cartoonist as well on Twitter. I think, I think Hello Berlin has a, a thing coming up in Project Big Hype Volume 2. But Doug Wood is like the 
the big yeah. guy for that. I, so I, know, Doug. I think there's a, a real connection there. But anyway, go check that out. Free plug. There you Use go. Use my time to plug someone else's stuff. Go. <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite movie, book, and historical figure? It's a looks like a three-parter. I, I'm, I'm one of those people. It's, it's tough to pick one thing, uh, you know, maybe one per genre. I think movie wise right now, I'd probably be cornered somewhere between Blade Runner and Once Upon a Time in the West. Maybe Once Upon a Time in the West and Unforgiven sometimes have a, a little battle for top Western for me. Book. I don't know. I read a lot of nonfiction. I don't read a lot of novels. Typically the reading I do is research oriented or it's like public intellectual book or something like that. A book that I, I wasn't sure, taking a slightly different direction, a book that I wasn't sure about that ended up being very interesting is this book called Against Empathy, hmm. which by the title, like, you know, <laughs> like it's a, it's not really a, it seems a little, it seems a little counterintuitive. Know. Yeah. 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 But it's a Paul Bloom, I think is the author. He's like a, I believe he's like a Harvard uh, psychology guy, but it's a good book. It's about moral decision-making, what empathy is good for in terms of making moral decisions and what alternatives lead to better outcomes and given circumstances. Anyway, like it's one of those books where, you know, it's like, what? Like this from the title seems like it's going to be some kind of screed, Uh, but no, it was very thoughtful, uh, very interesting book. So that's usually, you know, if someone's like, oh, can you recommend a good nonfiction book? I'm like, that one usually pops up. The most recent one where I I did not get what I expected out of it. And it kind of surprised me and it made me think, I won't say favorite, but the book that at least popped into my mind, historical figure, man, I don't know. Um, I feel like I probably had an answer to this question a few days ago and now I've just deleted it. Let's think about some stuff history wise and now I've, I've lost it. Abraham yeah. Lincoln. Sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So thanks for the question. Hello, Berlin. At what point are we good enough? Never. It's the, the you, there's no, there's no destination that matters. There's no destination that is meaningful to your own experience because you're going to die at some point, whatever your legacy or, you know, whatever you're trying to build that will outlive you. You're still going to die. You're not going to be able to enjoy the legacy that you built. And eventually it's going to be forgotten anyway. So my wife, street philosopher that she is, uh, says that life is just about finding things to do so that you're not bored until you die. That's it in a nutshell uh, for me. So I, I look at comics that way. I look at everything I'm doing that way. It's just, I, I really like doing this. I really like, there is a difference between making comics and just going and buying a coloring book and <laughs> spending my time filling those in. You know, there's a pursuit there. The idea of a goal, at least for me, uh, is illusory. Um, I think that I'm, I'm one of the people, I'm not turning over any new stones here, but I'm one of the people who is more of a journey, not destination types. Everyone usually asks, what's the most wisest piece of advice you've received or what's the most bullshit piece of advice you've received? But what is the second wisest piece of advice that you've ever received that has stuck with you in your career? Stay offline. Don't get dragged down into just like social media bickering. 
and I, I've done it. And like, I'm not, I'm not holding myself above anybody here. I've gone down that path before. I don't think it's productive. It's one of those pieces of advice that I've heard that I ignored. And then after testing it out, using the scientific method had to eventually admit, I think that that's good advice after all. Probably not the best piece of advice I've ever had. Definitely up there. If you're in the middle of like a normie work day, uh, it's easy to check Twitter and scroll for five minutes, but uh, just as easy to pull out your tablet and tweak some stuff on it. There's just a lot of wasted time in the uh, margins of life that could be used more productively, I think. Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you? There are a lot of writers and artists that I looked to and went, I want to be that. I have a fairly, probably a typical laundry list there. You know, I mean, there's Frank Miller, Chris Somney, uh, maybe in the more recent canon of great artists. Uh, but I think the person who really made me go, oh, shit, I can do this and I can do it the way I want it to do is Matt Kent. And I'm not even necessarily a big Matt Kent fan. Some titles I'll pick up, I'll be like, oh, this is like the best comic I've ever read. Some titles I'll pick up and I'll be like, that's, you know, that's okay. I'm not going to continue with this one. So it's not like a, it's really more of just who he is and what he can do, how he does it on his own terms that I really respect. I would say that's my model for what I want to do is I would like to work on the projects I want to work on, realize them as best I can through my vision for them. And I think that he is probably the most, one of the most prominent examples, at least for me, that I came across on a recommendation. Um, I came across Super Spy uh, because I was working on like a spy thing that I wanted to do. And somebody was like, oh, you should read Super Spy. And I was like, okay. And yeah, I just love the storytelling. And I love that he did it all himself. And I was like, oh, well, if someone can do this and I, you know, I can hold this book in my hands, then that means I can do it too. From a professional standpoint, you have created, of course, Ronin Digital Express. You have created other works as well too that we unfortunately haven't had a chance to talk really too much in depth about, which means you'll come back on and talk about them in the future as well too. So professionally, you're successful in that regard. Do you consider yourself personally successful? Yes. I don't know that it's a destination, but I think that like everybody in the pandemic, there were a lot of ups and downs. There were some low lows, but I think a lot of people decided that they were going to do things to improve their lives if they could. And I definitely was one of them. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of things that I think I accomplished personally, professionally. Now, I mean, I, there would be no Ronin Digital Express without the pandemic, probably. I probably would have found another excuse to push it out a year or maybe try to do something else instead. But the being stuck at home thing with yourself, it's either motivating or it's not, you know, I did a lot of good things for myself. I know that not everybody is that fortunate. So I'm, I'm very grateful that whatever the mixture of existential circumstance I can't control and also personal grit in my character blends together to make that cocktail. I'm grateful for all of it. But yeah, I think that right now I'm at a good point of balance. You can't really let one thing take over your whole life. And it's tough with comics because comics are very consuming. You know, right now I'm not working on anything. I'm taking some time off. I'm not like coming off of like, well, this is being adapted into a movie now. I'm going to go on vacation. You know, I'm not, I haven't reached some kind of arbitrary career milestone that the world would look at and say like, you know, ah, he deserves some rest, you know, and, and there are other people who probably are like, you know, what are you doing? Like, you got to keep up the momentum and keep it going. You got to keep putting stuff out there. 
And I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm uh, I'm a little taxed right now. Uh, so I'm going to relax. I'm going to have a summer break. I'm going to grill. I'm going to drink whiskey. I'm going to smoke cigars. I'm going to go to the beach and go on hikes with my wife. And that's just what I'm going to do for a little while. And I think that for me personally, I'm loath to make any prescriptions for humanity, but for me personally, I've got to maintain some sense of balance. And if I can do that, then I consider myself personally successful. The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures? I love it. Failure is the best. I mean, it's, there's a whole thing in the zeitgeist right now, right? I mean, failure is just the best teacher. It's tough at first. I mean, that first hill of showing a professional your art, you know, making a connection with a, with a pro or something like that and showing them your, your portfolio, showing an editor your writing. It's tough to get over that first hill. Uh, it's kind of like being asked to sing in front of somebody. You know, there's you feel naked and it's not a good feeling. As long as you can get over that first hill, then it just becomes really it's a pleasure to to fail the way you respond to failures you have to be like oh interesting what went wrong you know you have you have to kind of take your feeling out of it be analytical uh, about what what happened and then the thing is is you you have a chance to improve if you fucked something up you get to fix it if you're still alive whatever pressures are convincing you that you you fucked it you know, <laughs> there's no redemption for you it's just ignore that shit you know then, then go fix it go fix the thing that you fucked up like that's that's what failure is an opportunity to do you know i mean there are still those times where you know I'm, i was working on some pages recently that nobody has seen yet i felt really proud of myself and i showed them to a professional uh, within comics who i've built a bit of a friendship with over the last year or two i'm just like what do you think? <laughs> you know, like I was really beaming and he was like, oh, this is pretty good overall, but that, 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 and, you know, a bunch of red lines for me. At first it was kind of like, oh shit, I really thought I nailed it that time. But I went back, I took the notes and the pages are better now. Don't you want the pages to be better? Don't you want them to be as good as they can possibly be? Failure is an opportunity to make that happen. I'm much more satisfied with the final product. It's a win. The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way. And the fact that you have the younger generation with you and that you're inspiring them to be creative, either as a writer or, or a creative person in some way, shape or form, uh, will be wonderful to see what they do in the future. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? I don't know necessarily how to inspire people, but I will say for anybody who is younger than I am, you know, who would qualify as next generation. Don't worry about being too successful, too young. There are always examples of people who become really, really big deals in like their, you know, when they're 22 or something like that, even, even in comics, those people tend to burn out pretty quickly. They don't really know what to do with all of that responsibility. Typically they don't. Sometimes some people can manage it, but I think there is a lot of, at least there was for me, there was a lot of fear of making an impact while young or else. That's just not the case. I think if anything else, taking the time when you're younger and you have more of that energy to stay up until 4am and you know everything, live on 400 calories a day, like, use that time to build craft. You know, I mean, for me, 
uh, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now, uh, unless you will let me have the pandemic years back, in which case I'm in my early thirties. And I spent the last five years learning how to draw. And if I could have done that when I was 15, instead of when I was, you know, 28, 29, uh, I could have made more stuff than I'm going to be able to make in my lifetime now. Don't worry so much about the success stuff as worrying about being just undeniably good. I don't even know if I'm undeniably good. Like, I think I'm still working towards being undeniably good. That's what I'm focused on becoming uh, is undeniably good. The earlier of a start you can get on that, the better. And I think the more inspiring you'll be uh, because if you're focused on the wrong things early on, I don't know, I'm not going to name names, but I can just think of so many examples of people who end up just making kind of an ass of themselves because they, they get success too soon and they freak out a little bit, <laughs> you know? So build craft while you're young and immature. And then when you have the maturity of life experience, start putting out undeniably good shit. And that is inspiring. If your life was a comic book, what would its title be? And what would the soundtrack be? Wow. I don't know. I'm, I'm tempted to overthink that quite a bit. I don't know that the comic book of my life would be worth reading. You would see a lot of neuroticism that I work really, really hard to beat to death before I come on a show like this to talk to people or go out in public to interact with other humans. There's probably some kind of a, a weird shut-in misandrist title that you can come up with for the, the comic book of my life. What would the soundtrack be? There'd be a lot of everything in there. I mean, like I have a basically just like one playlist. I mostly listen to podcasts if I'm drawing, you know, if I need to switch off into music for something uh, that requires the other side of the brain, I've got like one playlist, just constantly rotating stuff on there, but there's everything from like tracks from film soundtracks, you know, Bernard Herman type stuff from, you know, like Vertigo and Psycho and stuff to classical, to hip hop, Scandinavian death metal, mm -hmm. um, to American pop, like, you know, there's the occasional Britney Spears track that wanders in to that playlist. So a little bit of everything, you know, I said neurotic, imagine the, uh, the neurotic ADHD playlist and, uh, <laughs> that's your soundtrack. So a little bit of everything, hodgepodge of wonderful music. Yeah. Yeah. I find, I find something to like about just about everything. That's probably if, if the uh, neuroticism is uh, a bad character quality, then I think that the, the open-mindedness to find something to enjoy in most things is probably a redeeming characteristic to balance it out. Well, Renton, I do hate to say it, but that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for, uh, for accepting uh, my outreach. And, uh, and yeah, I'm always grateful for anyone who wants to take any time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and yeah, I would, I would love to, to come back again sometime. Before I let you go, though, where can we find you? How can we support you? And where are you on the internet slash social media? So I am on at Renton Hockey, uh, same spelling as the graphic down there, uh, all at Renton Hockey all the way through, no periods or underscores or anything. Um, that on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, I post mostly artwork on Instagram and stuff that I'm working on. Uh, Twitter, uh, a little bit more of like, hey, I just published a new newsletter kind of stuff. Um, some artwork, but not as much. Um, 
you know, little whimsical musings like everybody else has, I'll put on Twitter. Um, so yeah, Twitter is maybe more of just like a news and just water cooler type place for me. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time on there. Um, Instagram is a lot more art focused, uh, within the bio of either you'll find a link tree. The link tree has the links to the more, you know, the actual product, so to speak. Um, and so I have two, uh, publications on Substack. One of them is Ronin Digital Express. You can read the entire first arc in its entirety right now. Um, I've concluded the first arc of it. Um, it's about, uh, eight full episodes. And then there's a handful of extras that go along with it. Um, so if you like Ronin Digital Ex Express, uh, after you read through the first arc, you feel like you want to see more of it you know, hit the hearts, add a comment, subscribe. Uh, there'll be more. It might be a little while, but I, I do think I'm going to do some more in that world. So, so hang in there. Um, and then the other publication is uh, rent space, which is my newsletter. Um, that's probably a little bit more where I'll be focused in the next couple months uh, over summer break anyway. Um, so there I do, um, that's, you know, there's process stuff, uh, there's um, sneak peeks at stuff that I'm working on. Uh, I have a not safe for work tier uh, where I do, um, you know, well, not safe for work stuff. Um, giveaways, uh, there's a couple other, there's on my website, there's a breakdown of, of all the, uh, the different tiers that I do. Recommendations, um, you know, if, I, if I've found a, you know, uh, a comic book in a smelly, moldy box at a used bookstore that I've never heard of, uh, you know, I'll talk about it there. So, um, yeah, those would be, I think Substack is probably the best way to keep in touch with uh, me and what I'm up to. Um, whereas yeah, Twitter and Instagram are definitely sort of shop window that's kind of how I treat them, uh, shop window type locations. Like I said, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. You can, of course, find this interview and a thousand plus others literally on our website at tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com. That's the word two, not the number two. And of course, on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash tgtmedia. And of course, we do have a Patreon page as well, which is patreon.com forward slash tgtmedia. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening watching on Two Geeks Talking. Thanks, Kurt. Cheers to you. Cheers to you too.